0: You're listening to This Is How Projects Get Done, project management conversations with experts around the world, with your hosts, Jonathan Barbado and Chet Lang.
1: Hello, I'm Jonathan Barbado, And I'm Chet Lang. Cyber threats cost the global economy an estimated $600 billion each year. In this episode, we'll be speaking with Eben Berry a veteran cybersecurity specialist and project manager, about the cyber threats facing your organization's projects and what you can do about it. Eben, thank you for joining us. Glad to be here. So this is uh, Project Management Development Day 2018, and you've come to us to speak about uh, cyber cer- cybersecurity concerns and project management.
0: Yeah, uh, today the title is Could Your Project Be Hacked?, so it's really about informing PMs in terms of the risk factors they should be looking at when they're going through assembling their project management up front, you know, the whole PMI type pembok. But really it's how do you inject what I call cyber safety, which is more than just cybersecurity into that process? Now there's uh, three different definitions people often hear, maybe more about cyber safety one is, you know, online in terms of surfing safely online, so speed and cyber safe in that aspect. Not really talking about that today. There's a physical aspect of cyber safety where the physical or mechanical world meets a digital world. And from that aspect, once you connect those two, there's a cyber safety element. So a vehicle is one aspect of that. A medical device is another. Even the transportation systems that we drive over. So that's that safety. What I'm really talking about today, which I think is more appropriate for project management, is the overall concern around process Itself and how do you embed cyber safe practice? So more of a mindset in terms of that delivery So whatever you're implementing you're ensuring that you're protecting the data and services from that aspect And it's not just a technical it's also a non-technical aspect to this. So PMs really have kind of this night ship another uh, Aspect in terms of really having an impact on minimizing business risk found often in these projects. And so I'm going to try to tease that out a little bit today and give them, you know, kind of these risk indicators, things to look for so they can kind of go through this aspect, better collaborate, having been a former CISO myself and working with a large project management staff, you know, how do you raise that bar in terms of cyber safety?
1: In cybersecurity, I'm somewhat familiar with cybersecurity, and my understanding is that uh, in the world of cybersecurity, the mantra is Security is everyone's responsibility.
0: I remember writing a policy about
1: that. (laughs) So how does uh, everyday cybersecurity um, responsibilities that would fall on all of us as employees of an organization vary from uh, the practices that we would take as PMs?
0: Well, it does start from your perspective. So uh, most people have a web mail account, personal account. Uh, Most probably use Gmail. Uh, The question is, is do you enable uh, what we call multi-factor authentication when you log into that account? Uh, Google, uh, in terms of Gmail, likes to call it two-step verification. Even Apple has gone to it, although they're restricting you if you had an Apple account with email, you have to have an Apple device in order to be able to enable that. Um, So there is benefits to only enabling it on a certain device. But again, I think it needs to be more open architecture. But having that multi-factor authentication, so when you log in, it's a second factor. So you give a username and password. And oh, by the way, um, most usernames today, people know what they are. So why not change them to something different, right? So now don't give the adversary or bad actor 50% of the solution. Right. So you, you randomize your username as well. And so just these little... Types of things that makes it more difficult, more costly for somebody to get access to your account. It's like driving down the neighborhood and you see the ADT sign out in front of a house. You know, you're going to go after a soft target. You're probably going to bypass unless that house is targeted for a specific reason. Well, then if you're being targeted, one, you should know about that. Just like every day if you're going down to a Starbucks, um, is the same person showing up when you go down there. At the same time, again, not trying to make people paranoid. This is to make people aware and um, taking certain steps from that aspect. But what that two-factor authentication does, or the two-step verification in Gmail does, most people don't do it. Use uh, do it. I actually say, hey, raise a hand. I do it. Um, that's good because what it does is it limits who can log in and from what device. Mm-hmm. So before it was just who can log in, right? To that, but now. There's other security measures where only from authorized devices are you allowed to log in. So now you're narrowing what we call the attack surface. Okay. And this attack surface uh, is grand if you don't use 2-step verification because anybody from anywhere in the world can use your username and password to get into Gmail. So where we run into trouble is maybe when project
1: team members are utilizing their Gmail account and, uh, let's say, commingling project information with personal information somehow attachments uh, files from a project end up as an email attachment in gmail and that gmail account isn't properly secured
0: yeah and coming back to what you're saying it starts with everyone having responsibility well if you know the impact of that um, what do most people use with their emails if they need to recover their password because they forgot it what do they do they use an email account and so if you don't have a two-step verification on that on that email account Somebody can compromise your account, and guess what? Get your passwords to everything else. Right. So again, it starts you know, personal hygiene. It's like brushing your teeth every day. Mm-hmm. It's flossing, right? Good habits. Exactly. Don't forget the floss at night, too. That's, I mean, if there's only one time you're going to floss, make sure you floss when it's important. You don't want the uh, the uh, food in your teeth overnight, right? Because that's we go to the dentist, and what do they say? Flossing is, if there's one thing you can do and there's only one day to floss, floss before you go to bed.
1: And in this situation, is Flossing logging out of your Gmail account before you go to bed?
0: So um, there's some auto-logout. I mean, you should actually log out. I think the other aspect of this, um, in terms of good hygiene, is setting up alerts. So having alerts to say when you logged in, any account changes that you may have had should also notify you and come back to you. And in some cases, when you're going to log in from other devices, you should ensure that those devices you authorize. And so there's a de- Google does this. Other web uh, email providers have to catch up. Uh, and again, I'm not necessarily promoting Google, but what I'm saying is is they're taking steps where they can uh, authorize specific device to even say you can log in from. So those are the kinds of steps, I think. And so these are the things you've got to think about in terms of uh, following the data and following the access to that data. So th- there's an
1: opportunity to protect yourself, and in doing so, you're in- ensuring the integrity of your organization's information as well.
0: Correct. You made that connection. And when you start taking cyber safety serious as part of your everyday life, that mindset transitions into the real world in terms of profession. So another example of um, personal security
1: hygiene, there's a trend going from passwords to pass phrases. Can you tell us a little bit about that and why that's a, a trend?
0: Well, I think, uh, you know, the, the whole because most breaches result in credential theft, and there's a number of reasons why that happens. I think technologically there's things that we can do, but there's this aspect of um, lateral movement. So if somebody is able to gain access to your account on one system and whatever permissions they have being you in terms of assuming your identity – they now can move to other systems within the network. So, um, so it's important to make sure that when you're um, you know, logging in that certain permissions are restricted uh, for that user. And a quick example of that, which is you know, commonly known, um, typically people have local admin rights. You know, do you really need local admin rights on your system And and even if you are working in IT, do you need local admin rights across every device in your network? Because now you can laterally move across those devices.
1: So as someone uh, on a project that may have uh, have a high level of privilege on the systems, uh, you don't necessarily, you may be able to do your day-to-day work, 80% of it, let's say, with a different account that has... uh, that abides by the principle of least privilege? Correct.
0: Yeah. Um, it doesn't, I mean, you, can, you don't necessarily have to have two different accounts. There are solutions out there that help you escalate privileges as well. Um, so
1: Adding additional passwords or...
0: Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. almost like another layer of multi-factor. Mm-hmm. So you multi-factor in, but you should also multi-factor to other sensitive assets. It could be another system, could be an application, it could be access to certain data.
1: What's the number one thing? Uh, everyone that you're going to speak to this afternoon can do uh, to make their online uh, life more secure?
0: Well, I think it's not just online. It can be offline, too. It's just, you know, who you are. There's um, uh, certain social engineering attacks that can occur even before they send you an email. So just, you know, being wary of, um, you know, who's sending you information. And I've even gotten texts, you know, text messages from people with a link. And you say to yourself, this seems out of character, right? If something seems out of character, a lot of people don't listen to their gut. If something's out of character, and you know, just don't blindly click on a link. So if somebody's phone is hacked and there's a trust between you and somebody else, the biggest thing is um, now they used to say trust but verify. But even that now is hard to do. So there's this concept of zero trust. I'm not going to go into that today. Um, but essentially, you need to both identify the individual, the identity that's going in, and the device they're coming from. So again, I'm bringing it full circle back to Gmail. I think some of the Gmail principles at a very rudimentary layer is where you start. Where do you see the role of the PM in cybersecurity? So I know they, um, they had a talk here at the PMI last night. Uh, I couldn't attend, but, but one of the the topics was what's PM in 2030. I think it's actually even sooner than that as a re- result of a lot of these uh, cyber breaches, the data breaches that we see. Um, there's more and more incidents that uh, could turn into a breach and there's a difference. But you need to manage that as a project. You know, having been CISO uh, in, uh, in leadership roles in other organizations and have some battle scars and arrows in my back going through that process, you really need to manage a incident or breach response as a project it's very similar and so it's different when you have a technical person leading that versus somebody that's a PM so bringing that really in I really see a natural transition for a lot of PMs that want to gain more understanding and be informed about cyber to, to kind of transfer over into becoming an incident manager and really helping organizations lead the incident response that's happening but then there's a downstream set of projects that have to occur that need to be managed and implemented as a result of that breach so who's more perfect than an incident manager with a project a program uh, director background to lead through and learn but then also understand hey on the other flip side we've got to deliver these projects to close those gaps so I really see an opportunity for PM's to expand their career opportunities as well as exposure, and then and, and ingest some more knowledge, oops, some more knowledge uh, into um, their everyday profession. Um, there'll have to be some, uh, I think, organizational changes to see this, but I think it's a natural progression uh, where you're starting to see certain tools out there that are kind of organizing the incident response in a project management fashion. So naturally, I think you're gonna see more PMs have an opportunity to become incident managers. And then those that really like the topic of cybersecurity, uh, probably gonna manage those um, projects in terms of uh, incident response or breach response that have been identified from the business that we need to to get done.
1: So there's truly opportunity where there's risk.
0: Yes. What's the best resource out there for, for project
1: managers to bring themselves up to speed on best practices in cybersecurity?
0: Well, it's it's interesting. You're starting to see some um, security organizations um, start to look at this problem. I think a lot more has to be done. You're either are you you're you're either over in the cybersecurity camp or you're in the project management camp, and so you have these different sets of resources to go to. And then as a PM, you going to have to bring this together. And really, my talk today is to start bringing some of this. These pieces together. Um, in terms of an area to start looking and understanding, um, there's a Center for Internet Security that talks about some cyber hygiene. And I think just going out to this website, uh, looking at what they have to offer, they model it after these top 20 critical controls uh, for cybersecurity. It's not necessarily woven into some of the project management lifecycle. Um, but they do offer some content that you understand, you know, hey, what are, the, what are some of the hygiene elements that organizations struggle with today, just so they're aware of that knowledge and how do they bring that into their project. I think part of this is gonna be a, a learning process. Uh, when I was at a organization before, um, I had PMs work for me directly. And what, so we had to basically work together to kind of go through and understand uh, what did they need to know and what do we need to know to deliver better? Because a lot of times the PMs helped the security organization or my organization better deliver. You know, a lot of times security is often thought of the Gestapo, uh, overhead costs. They come in at the 11th hour. Um, but when they start to realize that security is not the problem, it's part of the business solution and bring us up front, it's part of planning. Um, that's that's where we need to go. I think you're going to start seeing more as a result of this awareness of what we're talking about today, where you know the PM plays a uh, vital role in terms of visibility. They're uh, given a lot of responsibility in terms of delivering projects. These projects, by nature, are being released out into production. And so up front, if you're able to address some of these issues, uh, informed risk areas that I'll be talking about it gives really the PM some tooling to understand you know where does my project have weakness or exposure in terms of risk let me work now again they don't have to become a an expert cybersecurity person they have to become more informed to help them make their PM decisions but they're working with internal chief information security officers chief privacy officers chief risk officers chief compliance officers Um, you know, to really partner to make sure that they are injecting uh, kind of these cyber-safe practices throughout the life cycle. And if you catch it early on versus later, not just in security but in even functionality, the cost is going to be far less. You know, we've seen statistics years ago, I don't know what they are now, a 70-to-1 ratio in terms of cost of dealing with a security issue up front versus after it's been released into production.
1: Well, that's a no-brainer, then. Where can we find you? Do you want to be found? That's the... (laughs) Um,
0: Do you speak on a regular basis? Well, since joining uh, my new company, I I have not because of my focus, my prior history. I mean, you could just Google my name, and, you know, you'll find different things on me. But um, this here, PMI, I highly suggest this will be recorded, this session, Could Your Project Be Hacked?, Um, And what what I like about this is back in 2012 or so, I wrote a uh, white paper uh, with a business associate at the time, you know, could your project be hacked, or some title to that effect. And I ended up speaking at the Project Summit in Vegas, I think it was 2012, on this very topic, speaking to PMs about how do you ingest or incorporate, you know, some of these practices. But, um... But I, I really think just watching this, uh, this video, it's going to be recorded, this session, Could Your Project Be Hacked? I think I've got some good information in there to help all project uh, managers uh, make a real impact as soon as they walk out of here today. But also, if they are thinking they want to head down the incident manager route, um, this, is, this is perfect information to start informing themselves and in, uh, in incorporating into their project manager practices. Thank you. Thank you. That was Evan
1: Berry, Principal Cybersecurity Engineer at the Meteor Corporation.
0: You've been listening to This Is How Projects Get Done, project management conversations with experts around the world. Be sure to subscribe to hear more expert interviews, learn about the latest trends, and gain key insights into the world of project management.